Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's podcast. It is Tuesday night when I'm shooting these. I usually shoot these like Tuesday afternoon. So I just wanted to say, if anything sounds like I'm lacking enthusiasm, it's just that I'm tired. I promise I'm equally as excited as I am every week to talk to you about this stuff. So let's jump in and see what we got. Pre-orders are now open for a vinyl soundtrack for, I want to make sure I get this right here, the first ever release of the soundtrack for the sci-fi Amiga Demo Scene Wonder Odyssey by the Alcatraz Group, and possibly the first ever vinyl release for an Amiga Demo Scene soundtrack. That was quite the exciting mouthful, so I wanted to read that word for word right off the site. But the price is 30 euros, and it's scheduled to ship in about a month, and it's available in black and includes a printed inner sleeve in the shape of a floppy disk, which kind of looks pretty neat, uh, a sticker sheet, and double-sided poster. So if you're into Amiga demo scene stuff and you liked the soundtrack for Odyssey, this seems like something that you'd be interested in. Remember those 20-inch arcade LCD panels from the company Arcuda that I had reviewed a couple months ago, or maybe a month ago? I really liked it, and the only, actually the biggest two issues I had with it was lack of availability, because part shortage and everything has a lack of availability, and also that there wasn't an option for a stand, because those were really designed to be mounted inside some kind of custom arcade-style cab. So... Uh, Ludo, a.k.a. DJ Cali, has made a 3D-printed stand for it that allows you to basically slide it over the rails and orient it in either direction. So while this isn't some elegant, long-armed, visa-mount rotating thing, it's also super easy to print that anybody with even a basic 3D printer should be able to handle, which I think is really important. And I always like both solutions, the big, extravagant, fancy ones and the ones that get the job done, because sometimes that's the most important thing. So if you want one of these, you're able to orient it either way, and uh, you could 3D print it yourself, and the video and any other info you want on it is right here, including a link to the original review and the full original live stream where I talk about the panel itself. I'm not going to drag you all through that again. If you're interested and you don't remember it, please check that out, but if you ended up buying one of these, or if you were interested but really wanted a way to desk mount it at least sometimes, definitely check out what Ludo has just posted for everybody and, and see if that's something that's a good solution for you. Another vinyl soundtrack is available this week for the game Sam and Max Save the World, and this one is already in stock and ready to ship, no pre-orders. The price is $30 and it should ship right away, and there's also a digital version available if you just would like to purchase the soundtrack and don't want the vinyl. 
Crystal has all of the details here, but basically if you like the music to that game, check out Crystal's post and see if you're interested. 8-Bit Mods has just released a GameCube version of the MemCard Pro, which is a micro SD based memory card that could do a whole bunch more than just be a memory card. Now, this is basically the same thing that was released for the PlayStation 1, but completely redone in order to be compatible with the GameCube. And if anybody has any questions on that, I did a fully detailed video on it. And to be perfectly honest, when I first got my MemCard Pro, I thought it was neat and I just assumed that I would do a written post about it until I started digging in and then I just felt the need to do a full video review because it's pretty awesome. I'm not going to go through all those details here. If you want to see what this thing could do, even on launch day back when I put that video out, you could watch it there. But basically some very cool features are obviously the ability to, once you've launched Homebrew, you could have Swiss run off of this thing and make it a pretty functional card like that. But there's also virtual memory cards if you want, you could assign a virtual memory card per game and even per region of per game. And of course, the ability to back up your original memory cards and stuff like that. So if you're a fan of the GameCube, this is definitely something that's pretty exciting. Now, of course, I have to always talk about price and I always like to head the trolls off at the pass. There's always some idiot in the comments that's like, I could get a used one off of eBay for $4. What do I need this for? And you know what? That's fair. That's completely fair. Now, I don't even need to go into the fact that the cheap third-party ones might not even work right at all. Some work totally great. But if you really are just a casual GameCube user that doesn't need any power features and you just want to use the handful of discs that you still have, then that's actually a fair statement. However, if you're a power user that wants every feature possible, including a Wi-Fi interface to get to the memory card, and some potential in the future for some other very awesome things, the $55 that this costs is certainly going to be worth every penny. Even in my personal opinion is stuff like this, you get what you pay for. So even if you really are just using it as a memory card, the ability to so easily back all of that stuff up and to have a good reliable one is certainly worth the money. And then all those other awesome things are just a bonus. But I just always wanted to, to head that off at the pass because while most people present those questions in a pretty trolly way, some of them are fair questions. And I just... Wanted to always lay that out there. So hopefully I'll be able to get one in and at the very least do a live stream to check it out at some point soon. But it's pretty exciting for anybody who likes uh, any GameCube power user, I guess. This week's roundup is once again sponsored by JLC PCB. And this week I want to talk to you about using their services to print a PCB that doesn't even have any traces on it. While that sounds like marketing BS, this really is always me just making up this stuff as I want to talk about it. But it's also the truth. You could use PCBs to build cases as brackets or as support, or as you're going to see here for this project that I'm going to show. We're going to have a two PCB design where one of them is going to have some buttons, and then the other one is going to be where those buttons run through. I'll show you how this all implements next week, and as much as this is just a very basic and simple design, I'm so excited to share this one with people because it's one of those easy nerd things that I think many of us would benefit from. But let's start with how to actually make it, which is pretty similar to how you would make a normal PCB. Okay, as always, we're going to start just by uploading the Gerber file. And we're going to do the main PCB first, which is just going to have a couple of buttons and pads on it. But it's basically everything that you would expect to see in these videos and similar to other stuff that I've done. I'm going to choose a color that I want to match the other board. And I'm going to choose white with black lettering. There's only one choice for silkscreen color for most of these, but you could choose based on whatever the PCB color is. So I'm going to do black or white with black lettering. 
And that's basically it. Uh, I know I'm going to be making a couple of these because I do think that a lot of people are going to want these. So I'm going to make 20 because it's only a few dollars more. And that's basically it. There's nothing else that I would need to do because it's a simple PCB order with nothing else. However, here is the top PCB, which is really only a cover, a label, and mounting. And this is where it could get pretty interesting because this is a lot cheaper than making any other kind of case, whether it's 3D printed or anything else. And as you can see, there's just a label on it. There's going to be writing and the mounting holes here and then just a logo on the back, because why not? But that's it. So it's a, technically a PCB, but with no traces on it whatsoever. And I'm going to also select white to match what I'm making it for with the black silk screen. And that is kind of all. The only other thing I should, uh, PCB quantity is 20 to match. So I'm going to save that to cart as well. And then we're going to follow up next week with what this is and also other tips on how you could make something like this. It's been a very exciting week for owners of the Analog Pocket, and Alex wanted to do a quick roundup post here just to kind of get some of the bigger info out. Lou's been doing some Analog Pocket updates, which I really think you all should be subscribing to. However, whenever there's big updates like this, I'll either read through one of Lou's videos or one of us will kind of highlight it all here. But the one very big one this week is I'm Not Kevin Horton 1997 has just released another 17 cores for the Open FPGA platform that coincidentally just happened to be the same cores that were available on the analog mini NT Noir. So that's a strange coincidence right there. But if only people that worked on both of those platforms were able to get these cores together, it might be pretty stable. So definitely something that you would want to use. Also, AGG23 has ported a bunch of more Mr. Cores over. Um, and this is also the same developer that originally ported the SNES core. So now there's Arduboy, NES, SNES, PC Engine, Turbo Graphics, Super Graphics, and the Pokemon Mini. So that's pretty awesome. Eric Lewis uh, brought some consoles and arcade cores over as well from uh, Donkey Kong, Cuber, and the FPGA Gen Genesis core. And there's also another firmware update um, with the most up-to-date one being Beta 6 at the moment. So if you're interested in any of this stuff, definitely check out Alex's post for a quick update. And if you want up-to-the-week news, I would absolutely, as always, suggest that you subscribe to Lou because he's really been doing a good job getting this covered. So thanks to both of you. And speaking of Lou, now it's time for this week's Mr. Updates, care of Lou from Lou's Retro Source. As always, I'm just going to skim through these pretty quickly. And if you hear anything that piques your interest, please check out Lou's video for all the details. First up, more bugs have been fixed in the PlayStation Core that fix games like WCW vs. The World, Dave Mira, Thrasher Skate and Destroy. And as always, I would strongly recommend, if you're a nerd like me, subscribing to Robert's Patreon to get all of those very awesome and detailed updates. Next, Jet Fighter Arcade has been uh, is at the point where the game runs, but there's still some bugs that need to be fixed for it to run correctly. So if you want, you could check it out on Jimmy Stones' GitHub. Another board was donated to Hotego for CPS3 reverse engineering, which, once again, thank you. And I really think this is awesome. And while I know everybody wants their favorite cores released on Mr. <laughs> Mortal Kombat, I do actually think that the CPS3 is the next most important one to at least start the process on, because none of these things are easy and none of these things are short. So uh, however long it takes, just thank you to Hotego and his team for continuing all the work on this. 
Also, Mike Simone ported a core of the arcade game Sun Sun to the Mister, which was a 2D platformer developed by Capcom. There's uh, uh, an update to the PCXT core where hard, drive, uh, hard disk drive support will work better. Anton Gale has released the Exerian core, and it's not available by updating your Mister yet, but you can download it right through the project's GitHub. Pierco has started to move the Express Raider core from simulation to an actual Mr. core, which is going to be both thrilling and really nerve-wracking, so my hat's off to you, Pierco. Um, user Abbub on the Mr. FPGA forums have gotten the Amiga core working with internet access using a commercial program called Roadshow, which, wow, that stuff is just awesome. Uh, sorry to PC nerd out right there, but anybody that's into older PCs just uh, immediately knows how, how much effort is now taken away from that process, just having that integrated in. Um, D3F Mod is celebrating the one-year anniversary of its Ironclad Plus I.O. board, which is a mini ITX form factor that allows you to have a Mr. setup on almost any PC case. And they also announced an internal MT32Pi hat for the board. Uh, the Mr. Multisystem has released a pie cart that is now available for sale. I cannot believe I forgot to write that post up separately. Uh, my apologies to RMC and the team. <laughs> Thank you, Lou, for always getting our back on this. Um, but hopefully I'll be able to get one as well to kind of see what other pie-related things you might be able to do with this. Because uh, even things like what RMC was showing of having the RFID tags load games, it's just some of that tactile experience goes a long way. Uh, there's a new core for the arcade game Tropical Angel, and Hotego teased next week's core, calling it JT Kiwi. So could they be getting, could we all be getting New Zealand story next? I don't know. But as always, thank you very much to Lou and to, of course, every member of the Mr. Team who contributes to the project in any way, because this stuff is awesome, and I'm so glad. It's just the best time to be a retro gamer. Retro Upgrades is now selling Martin's BKM50R replacement remote for A-Series BVMs, and this is going to be a mini-review slash overview. It's not much to talk about, but it is pretty exciting. So first and foremost, why would you want this at all? Well, the original BKM15R, which is required to use A-Series BVMs, actually I think all BVMs require some kind of control board, but they're hard to find and they're expensive. And it could even be that they are less available than there are monitors because a lot of broadcast studios might have only bought a couple of different control boards because you could control multiple monitors with the same board. So that's certainly something that we all have to worry about because if we end up with more monitors than controllers, then we are out of luck. So right off the bat, being able to purchase this and have a remote at all is a huge bonus. However, there's also Wi-Fi support if you want to control it from your phone or a browser, and it's all open source. So that also means that somebody could come off or come around and reskin it. So maybe you could have a, a web app that fits your phone a little bit nicer. Right now, Martin modeled it off of the look or modeled the web interface out of the look of the original remote, which I think was the right move because bring people back to the familiarity and then let everybody do what they want with it. So a uh, very awesome uh, piece of equipment. If you have an A-series BVM with no remote or a faulty remote, this is a must-buy. If you already have a remote, take a look at the features and see if it's something that you might want to look into. Um, the only things that you might need to note, make sure that the control board is in peer-to-peer -peer mode, which it probably would have been anyway uh, if it had a direct remote connected to it. And that's basically it. Power it with a USB charger. Uh, Martin was talking about potentially having a cable made that allows you to power it from the A-Series monitor, but that's not done yet. 
but that would be a pretty cool bonus because the original A series control board required power for, and that's I think the only BVM that has that. Usually, you just need a serial cable between them. So if you have an A series, you need two power cords, which not that big a deal, but also kind of annoying at the same time. So hopefully somebody could come up with a cool solution for that. Maybe retro upgrades would even bundle that with a future version. But for now, just get yourself any USB power that's, you know, basic cell phone charger. Um, and if all you're going to be doing is using this as a controller, you might want to just flip the switch to disable Wi-Fi because, you know, why spend an extra second or two booting? However, if you do want Wi-Fi capabilities, make sure disable Wi-Fi is off. And then use a paperclip or something really, really tiny to go in and hit the force setup button and power it on. So plug the power in with the force setup button held down. Wait a couple of seconds and then pull out your cell phone or a laptop or something. Connect to its wireless network called BKM15R Setup. Um, and then just log in through that and use the web browser to connect it to your own home network. So to be very, very clear... You do not need to do this every time you need to access it. You only need to do it in order to connect it to your wireless network. And then every time it boots after that, it'll automatically connect. And then you could just go to whatever its IP address is via your phone, a web browser, whatever, to control it. Now, you're going to have to figure out what IP address that is, but there's tons of free sniffing software out there that you could use in your LAN safely. Uh, you could just log into your router like I did to get it. But basically... Connect it to your Wi-Fi network, figure out what its IP address is, and that's pretty much it. You're, you're done after that. And now you could access the interface, which looks kind of like the original remote, and it has most of the same features. So uh, I just think this stuff is absolutely awesome. Thank you so much to Martin for taking the time to do this and open sourcing it. If you want to hear more from Martin, please check out the interview we did. I'm sure we're going to do another one at some point soon. Anytime I can get a good dark beer and hang out with friends, it's going to happen. So I'm sure you'll see Martin on here again. But this is really just something that if you own or might be owning an A-series BVM, read the post, skim through it, check out retro updates, uh, retro updates, retro upgrades.co.uk um, and see if this is something for you or if you're going to be getting one and you don't know if it has a controller, bookmark this just in case. Fans of PC Engine and TurboGrafx shooter games can get really excited because a previously unreleased game called Dino Force is about to be released. The ROM is going to be free on November 25th and pre-orders are now open for physical versions of the game and there's a bunch of things that are definitely worth talking about. First of all, this is the first time the game is being seen publicly other than when it was teased in Japanese magazines over 30 years ago. The game itself was provided by the original game designer and uh, a collector who had apparently gotten a hold of one. And thanks to Mark Van Wokerkum, I'm so sorry, I, everybody knows how bad I am at pronouncing names, it's never intentional, my apologies Mark, uh, and also Chris Covell, who anybody who's been watching this for a while probably remembers Chris's name, but they were able to fix many of the glitches in the game and fixed the balancing on it as well. All of the physical releases are planned to ship between late 2022 and early 2023, and once again, the ROM is going to be available for free on November 25th. So if you're a fan of collecting original, unique stuff, definitely buy it. But I do also love how if you're just really curious what the game is like, you're still going to have the opportunity to try it out. Uh, ordering is a little different than elsewhere, so I would absolutely read through Crystal's post, post and just make sure you get everything down. But info is also, all the info you need is there. But there are a few options that are going to be available. 
A regular cue card version is available in three three variants, PC Engine Blue, PC Engine Amber, and a TurboGrafx-16 US version. These are new injection molded hue cards and comes with a new injection molded hue card case as well. Each are 89 euros. There's also uh, an option to buy a Mayu Mini handheld emulation device with DinoForce preloaded for 139 euros. And here's where things get interesting. You could also buy a PWD703 plus EEPROM board, which is a repro of the development boards NEC handed out 30 years ago. What a really cool thing. You know, that's obviously not one that all of us are going to want to buy, but I know a couple of dev friends that when hearing this, they're probably going to go, shit, I want one of those. So neat that that's available. And also for collectors, here's what you're going to want to listen to. The anniversary edition of this game is going to include a slipcase, a rolled poster by Jose Salo, who is the person who did the artwork for the 240p test suite, and a pretty awesome person. They were out hanging out with... uh, my life in gaming a while back um, you also get the hue card full metal anniversary bronze colored hue card framed multi-layer acrylic diorama a reprint of the pc engine dinoforce previews two pc engine mini hue card dummies so it's kind of a, a neat like toy thing to have with it art prints 160 pages of pc engine ads a dust cover that also has art by jose and a seven-inch vinyl record soundtrack with excerpts from the game. The only way to get the vinyl record is to buy it this way, so if you're a huge fan of vinyl, that might be a little bit of a bummer, but if you're a collector, this is definitely the absolute go-to. It's not cheap at 289 euros, but I think if you keep it in context of everything else, if you just want to play the game, free. If you're somebody that physical versions are important to them, under 100 bucks. If you like weird stuff, there's two other options. And of course, if you want the anniversary edition, you could, if you choose to, pay the money and get all of those extras with it. So I can't imagine anything more fair than that. Uh, they really have absolutely everybody covered with this one. So if you want to see more info, more pictures, and a, a bunch of other info on this, such as full metal cue cards that are available separately in gold and a bunch of other cool stuff, definitely check out the post. And uh, this is pretty neat. I love finding old games that were never released. And I usually just enjoy playing them for a few minutes because there's usually a reason that they weren't released. They're usually unfinished or weren't that good. And it seems like this is the opposite. It seems like now you're going to get a finished tweaked shooter game that uh, we probably all would have liked back then. So I'm very much looking forward to trying this one out. I just did two detailed live streams reviewing the Behar Brothers Hayabusa Super Gun, and there's some good news and some uh, news to go with it. So basically, it's very similar to their Shogun, which means it performs well and it's safe to use. Now, as I put in the post, there's a big giant hold on a minute here in that really no super gun is 100% safe to use. If you've never used a super gun, which is a device that allows you to use arcade boards on any kind of RGB monitor, then you're probably going to want to talk to somebody who has, or maybe I'll eventually finally getting around to doing a basic overview of super guns. But if you have used them before, it's about as safe as it gets. Unless you crank the voltage on your power supply up and crank the potentiometers up, it is totally safe. Sync comes from the factory, attenuated to 75 ohm. The potentiometers come about in the middle. One of them is a little off, but not nearly enough to do damage. Um, If only there were an easy way to test that. 
coming next week. Teaser, teaser. Uh, but And the audio circuit was also safe, which means that you could crank the volume and it's going to sound horrible, but it'll never go over the minimum voltage. Now, I have proof of all of this, as always. I don't just, I try so hard not to just say, trust me, I provided proof of all of it. Uh, the only thing I didn't have time to do during the first live stream because I didn't want to cut into the 8-bit mods uh, promo video that was being released. So I did the scope capture of the audio line separately, and it just shows exactly what I just said, that if you want to crank the volume, you could clip the audio and it'll sound terrible, but it won't go over three volts. Uh, so basically, you should really, when using any super gun with this kind of protection, turn the volume all the way down, turn it up a little by little until it sounds good, and you should be safe. Now, unfortunately, there is some bad news with this. The one killer feature of this super gun that sets it apart from some of the other Behar Brothers super guns, like the Shoguns, is that instead of having DB15 inputs, it has PlayStation controller inputs. And at first, you think, well, if you were going to be using any kind of PlayStation controller or PlayStation 1 or 2 arcade stick, hey, that's awesome. Now I don't have to have a bunch of dongles hanging out. I don't have to rewire anything. I could just plug it in. Except I just did another live stream, which I'll talk about in a second. And we really bent over backwards. We spent two hours and concluded that the average latency is about 24 milliseconds, about a frame and a half. And there was a large rolling buffer going from almost zero to uh, to about two frames. So what does that mean in a real world scenario? First, casual users playing on a CRT, maybe you'll notice, maybe not. But any any arcade enthusiast or any fighting game enthusiast, which you find those very commonly using super guns with arcade games, probably wouldn't want to use this because you could get controller adapters such as any of Mick Guyver's that are about a millisecond of latency that would be able to, to work with any any kind of USB device. So you could get like an undamned adapter and one of those in a PlayStation controller, which is a lot more expensive than doing this. However, it is going to get you a lot less latency. So for me personally, I would consider price and use case. You know, you need a second super gun, but you don't want to drop hundreds. This is about a hundred bucks. So it's a really good price for a safe super gun. If you want something casual and you want to just use maybe uh, your PS Retro Uno, I forget the names of all this stuff, but the Bluetooth adapter that allows you to sync like a new PlayStation 5 controller with it. You know that's our, you know, if you're using wireless, you're already cool with having a little bit of latency, but if you need a backup or secondary, I mean, there's lots of reasons why you would still want this super gun. But if you're just saying, I want a safe super gun to use, safe with all the caveats I warned you about before, and I want to use a PlayStation controller, I want to play some hardcore arcade games, then this might not be the one for you. So uh, no disrespect meant to the Behar brothers, but I always tell it like it is, and I always bend over backwards to try to get my data right, because while I've made a bunch of mistakes, most of the mistakes I've made were things like, hey, I think this thing's fine, and it turns out it's not bad, but it's probably not fine. And, you know, I'm all right with that. You know, I'm all right with making a recommendation that probably could have been better, but it really eats away at me whenever I say something like, maybe this isn't for you because I just, I don't want to get it wrong. And I think I did my diligence to get it right, which is what I'll talk about next. Lastly, I wanted to share a live stream I did this morning with Lewis from Zez Retro, where we show step-by-step -step how to use the hardware-based, Mr.-based controller lag tester. Now, I definitely need to say that if you're not somebody that would normally test controllers and you're just kind of curious what this is all about, 
definitely watch Lewis's video first, and you might not even want to sit through this one. I always try so hard to be respectful of people's time, and I do realize that saying, hey, come out and come hang out in this live stream while you're at work half paying attention is way different than telling people, hey, sit down for this two hours and watch this. So check Lewis's video first, but if you decide that this is something you want to do, I would absolutely you know, leave this on in the background and kind of perk up whenever you see issues or whenever you hear us talk about issues because... This is one of those things where the first time you do it, you might run into the same bumps in the road that we did. And then every time after that, it's super easy. And I really hope that many, many more people start using this same hardware uh, along with the Mister to test controller latency. Because it is really disappointing how most companies don't actually test their stuff for latency. It's something that it's really, uh, it bothers me and I feel like more people need to just step up to the plate and start doing it. And that would kind of demand that these companies do it. If we get a bunch of good reviewers showing hard numbers and we ask the company, so where's your numbers? Eventually they're gonna have to bite and start testing as well. So this is something that is definitely important. And we kind of go through and show all of the process. Now, the other thing that happened is during the stream, we were testing the Hayabusa and got some pretty high numbers, so we went and tested other stuff to make sure that the full start-to-finish test criteria was lining up and that I was doing it correctly, which is something else that I think is so important. But the good bonus of that is we also were able to lag test the Brook Fighting Board, which Pork added to the sheet after this, and we also retested the Mr. Cade, which anybody that's used it could probably tell you it feels like it's zero latency, and it basically is. It's 0.7 milliseconds, so it's for everything except light guns, that is zero. So it was cool to see the process. It was cool to do it. Now that I've done it once, now that Lewis was kind enough to walk me through it, I'm going to be using that a lot when testing controllers. And I genuinely think that this is something we need to continue to do. Now, of course, there's always that scenario like you make a hardware version of a blue retro device you know, it would be nice to see you go through and do this, but you're using an existing platform. I totally understand. There's already very good latency numbers out for that. But if you're making your own stuff, and especially if you're a company with a budget, holy crap, if you're a bigger company that has a development team and you don't post your lag numbers, it's frustrating. And it's even more frustrating to hear people talk about how it doesn't matter. That's, that's a conversation for another time, though. Lag does matter. The earth is round and we need to tell these companies that they have to start publishing their numbers because it's very important. I don't care if it's controller latency or software emulation or any of those emulation on new console things. We really need to start talking more about latency. And if people, there's going to always be people that say it doesn't matter and we just got to ignore them and power forward. And eventually it's just going to be part of the normal conversation. I know it's a hard uphill battle, but I'm, I'm, fine doing it. You're not going to knock me back down the hill. So I'm going to keep screaming from the top of this mountain. And there's a few others with me that are willing to take the time to do it. So if you're a reviewer, definitely step up to the plate and start doing this. Not only could it probably get you more clicks, uh, but it's it'll definitely get you some nerd cred where people will know that your statements are valid and backed up by facts. Not picking up a, a beer glass, shaking it and saying it doesn't feel like there's much lag in here. It's not lag testing. So verifying with real world results is awesome and do that too. Like when I lag tested the MVSX and then had Beast come over and talk about how it felt to adjust to it. That is awesome. But there's also numbers to back that up. So 
please jump on board with us on this, you know, but, but step into the same arena that Lewis and myself and Arturo have been playing around in and let's get lag numbers out there and try to see if we could put some pressure on, especially the bigger companies to start publishing this stuff. Well, that's it for this time. As always, thanks to everybody who watches, listens, plays nicely in the comments, and especially thank you to people who support in any way. Super chats and these live streams are amazing. Monthly support is really what keeps all this stuff going. And heck, even clicking on those Amazon or eBay links and buying the same exact thing for the same exact amount of money, but throwing us a couple of percentages of a penny on each sale, all of that helps. So thank you so much to everybody who helps keep this going. I really appreciate it, and I'll see you next week.